inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thanks for listening to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports. It's time for Ride On with Julie Goodnight. Since the last time we recorded, I was up in northern Colorado at the Sea Lazy U Ranch for my annual ranch riding adventure. It is a four-day program for active riders who can't get enough, and we had an incredible weekend. It was perfect weather. We had an awesome group of people. The food, of course, and the luxurious accommodations were awesome. The guest services there, the great ranch horses they have. I'm actually headed right back to the Sea Lazy U in just a few weeks. It's about a three-hour drive north of my ranch here in the southern Rockies. And in October, we're going to be having my horsemanship immersion experience. It's a four-day hands-on comprehensive program. It's focused on developing equitation skills, ground handling skills, training horses, horse behavior, health and nutrition, confirmation, saddle fitting, bidding. You get the idea. Uh, This will be the first time that I'll actually be conducting this program, although it's been in planning for several years. In fact, last year, just a week before it was scheduled to happen, wildfires moved through the area causing evacuation of the ranch and we were unable to do it. So needless to say, I'm super excited to finally get that program off the ground. It's one you've been asking for over the decades. I've had so many requests for this type of training program. So I'll uh, report back to you next month on how that goes. We've got a full house for that program, as with all the programs scheduled at Sea Lazy U this year. So If you want to check out the programs at the Sea Lazy U Ranch that I am doing in 2022, please visit juliegoodnight.com slash events for more information. Later this fall, November 9th to 11th, I'll be in Fort Worth, Texas for the Certified Horsemanship Association International Conference. This is an awesome hands-on educational program. It's open to anyone. I've been going to this conference for the last 25 years. I think I've only missed it once. Uh, This year, I'll be doing clinics and workshops there, as I am every year. And CHA, just in case you don't know, is a nonprofit member-driven organization. We're 50, 60 years old now, and its mission is to promote safety and excellence in horsemanship by certifying horse professionals, accrediting riding programs, and even publishing educational resources. I'm personally super proud to be a certified master instructor through the Certified Horsemanship Association. I'm also a lifetime member and their international spokesperson. You can find out more at cha.horse and be sure to check out their YouTube channel too. Finally, after a two-year hiatus on live events due to the pandemic, I'm excited to have three horse expos lined up for the late winter, early spring of 2022. I can't wait to get back on the road. I'll be doing horse expos in Oregon, Idaho, and Wisconsin. 
I can't wait to see everyone out there and to do some live presentations again. It's going to be so much fun. You can find out more at juliegoodnight.com slash events. And while you're there, check out my online short course on building your confidence with horses. Also, we offer online training resources, curriculums, and personalized coaching services at juliegoodnight.com slash join. Also, we've got some innovative grooming tools, tack, bits, training equipment, and videos at shop.juliegoodnight.com. I know I promised you last month an interview with Dr. Barbara Page, equine podiatrist, but we had some insurmountable scheduling conflicts this month. So we will for sure have her on a future episode. Today's podcast topic is about reading the horse, as it's commonly referred to by horse folks. Reading the horse is about observing and interpreting the horse's emotional and communicative behaviors so that you have a greater insight into its motivations and intentions. Plus, I've got some brand new questions to answer straight from our listeners in my What the Hey Q&A segment at the end of this podcast. Reading a horse refers to having keen observation that tells us what the horse is thinking, what emotion it's feeling in the moment, and what it's trying to communicate to others. I think before you can really do a good job of understanding and reading a horse's behaviors, reading between the lines, so to speak, you need to have a good understanding of the herd mentality of the horse, as well as the prey mentality. Now, this is sometimes hard for us to gather. Uh, For one reason, we have a tendency to compare horses to dogs a lot, and they're really not similar. Dogs are pack animals. They hunt cooperatively. They share food. Horses are herd animals that exist um, in a cohesive and cooperative structure, not for sharing food, but for providing safety and comfort to each other. So they're really coming at their situation from different directions. So really understanding what herd animals are about Um, Horses are instinctively driven to be accepted into a herd. It is, you know, correlated to survival in their minds. They can't survive on their own because they can't be vigilant to predators 24-7. So horses always seek acceptance to a herd. They always uh, have herd gravity, so to speak, even um, if it's horses that are totally strange to them A horse would still rather be with strange horses than by himself. So by having that mentality of seeking acceptance to a herd and wanting to be with the herd, they also sort of agree to abide by and cooperate with the social structure of the herd. And that requires communication and cooperation between herd mates. It also requires an understanding of leadership and hierarchy with the herd. So there's a a social order, so to speak. And remember, it's always important to consider that horses depend on the herd for security and comfort, not for food. 
All you have to do is turn a horse loose. He can find the food. He's a browser, not a grazer. He can eat almost any plant matter. So finding food is not a problem for a horse. They are really more oriented towards a herd for security and comfort. So this always speaks to um, what a horse wants, what he desires, and what he gravitates towards. So it's uh, sort of an underlying current, if you will, in the horse's uh, mentality. Also, prey animals versus predators. I know it, it sometimes seems simplistic and contrite to bring that up again and again, but they really have a different mindset. Um, fight versus flight is a good example. Um, attack versus run. Um, prey animals live with a constant fear of predation. They don't know where it's going to come from. They don't know exactly what it's going to look like. They don't know but that it exists around every strange corner and in every strange nook and cranny. And even when horses are you know, domesticated for thousands of years as they have been or kept in very secure and, and safe settings, they still are coming from this place of being prey. So their suspicion, their fear level can be high. Each individual horse is different in this regard, but it is their nature and is it is their instinct as a prey animal. Also, in terms of the mentality of horses, you have to keep in mind that they're very relationship oriented, both in terms of belonging to a larger herd in general that provides safety, comfort, and routine to that horse, but also between bonded individuals. Um, within any group or herd of horses, each horse will have one or at the most two other individuals it is especially bonded to and uh, friends with, so to speak. And these kinds of relationships can be intricate, they can be intimate, um, or they can be very generalized as in the larger herd setting. But relationships require communication, they require interaction, engagement, sometimes bonding. Um, and in the case of a horse herd, there is distinctive hierarchy in the herd, a hierarchy of dominance and subordinates. And so horses have to be aware of that in others as well. Because of that strong connection to the herd, horses are programmed to be keenly aware of and to adopt the emotions of the animals around them, both because of their cooperative existence with the, within a herd and their hierarchical social structure within that herd, but also in, in order to protect themselves in terms of security from predators. So in other words, if one horse in the herd becomes startled and frightened, all the horses around him will become startled and frightened as well. That's a survival instinct that keeps prey animals safe. So because of this, horses are keenly aware of the emotions of the animals around them, including humans, and they are programmed to react to the, the emotions of others in some way. So this uh, can give you clues in terms of reading the horse, and it also should give you um, um, cues in, 
in terms of how to comport yourself in such a way you're not giving the wrong cues to a horse yourself. Horses, again, because of their herd structure and perhaps because of their prey nature, they tend to mimic the animals around them. Uh, They display a lot of following behavior. They learn from each other. So the actions of horses are often influenced by the actions of the horses around them. And that's certainly something to consider uh, when you're looking at the big picture of trying to understand a horse's behavior. But it's also something to consider in terms of your own behavior. And uh, in other words, if you're nervous and tense and jerky around a horse, they're probably going to be the same way. So we want to make sure that we are not causing the very emotional behavior we're trying to diagnose in the horse by just checking in with ourselves, making sure our breathing is uh, calm and relaxed, our body language is appropriate to the occasion, and that you're focused on the job at hand and not um, focused within yourself. To read and interpret a horse's behavior, you have to not just rely on the meaning of words spoken as we do with humans, but you have to look at the entire horse, its surroundings, the current situation it's in, and really the larger picture of what's going on in order to decipher meaning from the horse's postures and gestures and communicative behavior. So keep in mind, horses don't have words but they do communicate extensively with every means available to them, and that includes their body posture, specific intentional gestures they might make, facial expressions, audible communications, and and also the actions they take. So let's take a look at each one of those things one at a time, starting with posture. If you wanted to, you could think of a horse's posture as an emotionality gauge. His head position for sure is like a needle on a gauge and it will tell you the horse's level of tension or fear um, versus his level of relaxation and acceptance. So when the horse's head position is in the straight up highest position, so this horse is standing in a posture that is very erect and his head is as high up on top of his shoulders as he can get it, often his nose is extending out and his ears are perked forward. Um, This is the full up position, and that is a horse that is fully prepared for fight or flight, and that is a horse that is what we would call on the muscle. It could be um, any kind of emotionality from fear to aggression to pridefulness, but the horse is high up and pegged out on the emotionality scale when his head is fully erect. And conversely, when that head is all the way down with the nose to the ground within touching distance of the ground, that horse is at his fully most relaxed position and therefore his most subordinate and accepting position. So 
any changes in elevation of the horse's head, even by a fraction of an inch up or down, is indicative of its emotional state. It is either tensing in the case of the head going up or relaxing in the case of the head going down. It is not possible for a horse to be tense when his head is all the way pegged out on the bottom of that gauge with his nose all the way to the ground. And uh, just as it is not physically possible for the horse to be relaxed when his head is in the all the way up position. So we want to learn to pay attention to changes in the horse's head position up or down no matter how small the increments. And as you work with horses or engage with horses, that is constantly changing. So they are constantly moving to and from a state of relaxation to a state of tension and back to relaxation. We hope, and if we can train the horse well and holistically and in a meaningful way, Uh, We hope that the horse always stays in that relaxation phase, but because they are prey animals and and can be high on the fear scale, uh, we know that can't always be the case. So learn to pay attention to that. Uh, When riders ride with an excessive amount of contact, in most instances, they are holding the horse's head up in an artificially high position. They're not allowing the horse to relax. Um, They're not allowing the horse to sort of do his job um, in a relaxed way because as the horse relaxes, the head lowers. And if the rider doesn't actively lower their hands and play out more rain, the horse punishes himself for relaxing. So you get end up with a horse that constantly stays in a state of tension with a hollowed out neck. And that's not a pretty sight. That's not what we're trying to accomplish. By the way, that head up and head down um, indicator of emotionality is the reason why we teach a horse a cue to lower the head. When you have a horse that is high on the on the fear scale and you want to teach it to deal better with its fear, you should teach it a head down cue, um, both from the ground and in the saddle. And this, uh, once you teach the horse, which won't take long, and once you practice it a few times with the horse, he will come to like it. And he will come to put his head down there himself anytime he starts getting nervous and fearful. So we actually teach a horse a a cue that puts them in the position of relaxation. And it's it's a coping skill. Just in case you're wondering, um, that tension when a horse's head is up and he's fearful or having some other emotionality, One way to tell if that horse is really afraid or if he's just being defiant in some way is to offer him food because horses that are afraid will not eat. They won't, no matter how delectable the treat that you offer them. If they're really afraid, their jaw will be locked and they will be uninterested in eating. Also, in a related sort of subject, Many of us know that licking and chewing is a good sign in a horse. It means he's relaxing and thinking and complying in most instances. And so we know we like to see horses licking and chewing um, when we're working with them. But let me explain why they're doing that. Um, Salivation plays a role in that. So 
As I mentioned earlier, horses constantly move back and forth from a state of tension to a state of relaxation. Often when we're training them, a young horse, for instance, that doesn't know cues and doesn't know what you expect of him when you're riding him or teaching him stuff from the ground, when he doesn't know the right answer, he's obviously going to get tense. And then oftentimes when he understands the answer or he learns to respond appropriately and gets praised for it, and he finally connects the dots of what that cue meant and how he should respond, we'll often see licking and chewing at that moment. What's happening is when the horse is unsure of himself and he doesn't know what you're asking with the pressure you're putting on him, he will automatically tense. And when a horse tenses, their salivation stops, even if it's only for a moment. Then as the horse starts understanding and and getting in sync with what we're asking, he relaxes and salivation begins again. So horses salivate all the time, except for when they're tense. So as we see licking and chewing in a horse, it's actually a horse that is just simply moving from a state of tension back to a state of relaxation. Salivation begins again, and he immediately starts wanting to move it around his mouth. So these are physiological signs that you can watch for and understand, at least have a greater understanding of what's going on in the horse's mind in that moment. Another aspect of the horse's posture that will help you read his emotional state and that can be somewhat of a gauge um, in terms of his emotional state is tail position. It pretty much mimics head position. So when the horse is has his head straight up in alarm or preparation for fight or flight, he will also have a stiff and raised tail position. You'll see um, tension in his tail. Sometimes they can even um, lift the tail up over, straight up over its back like a sled dog. We see this kind of behavior when a horse is prepared for flight or when he's displaying prideful behavior or perhaps aggressive or threatening behavior. Other signs that we might see in a horse's tail that can indicate his emotional state are um, swishing or switching of the tail. Of course, horses move their tails all the time and they move them, you know, to help keep flies off each other and themselves. Um, So they might, in a sort of soft and relaxed way, sort of swish flies. But when a horse starts switching its tail in a tense way, that is an indication that the horse is irritated, um, perhaps on its way to getting angry, perhaps on its way to lashing out in in a stronger fashion. And then if you've ever seen a horse with a ringing tail, it's kind of hard to describe if you haven't. And I, and I hope you don't see it very often because that's a horse that's really emotionally distraught, generally being ridden in a high-pressure way. And the ringing of the tail is, is like a ringing of your hands if you're really worried and you're just rubbing and wringing your hands together in a frightful way. You'll see that kind of behavior in a horse's tail. He's gone beyond irritation 
to frustration, and he is quite emotionally distraught, although he still may be 100% compliant in what the rider is asking. He is um, hurting in some way, probably emotionally or physically, or just from the hard, high-pressure training he's had. So that's a, a sign we don't. We hope we don't see very often because we hope we don't put horses through that kind of anguish. But, an, but another tail position that we see all the time that is just a straight-up clue into the horse's emotional state in that moment is the tail position of ambivalence. And it is probably something most of you have seen The horse that is displaying this tail position, the tail will be down, pointed down, but it will be tense. The tail bone will be tense and in such a way that it causes the very bottom tip of that tail bone to protrude through the tail hair of the horse. So in other words, the horse's tail is down but there's a little bit of a J shape to it. So you can see the bottom tip of the tail sticking out between the hairs. And that tells us that the horse is in an ambivalent state of mind. And that just means he's not sure what he feels. He doesn't know if he should be um, afraid or mad. He doesn't know if he should like that or hate that. He does, He's transitioning from one emotion to a, another, and he's just not real sure of himself in that moment. And by the way, there's there's nothing you can do if a horse is in that state of mind other than to continue to work with him in such a way that brings clarity to him. You can notice these things about a horse and take it into consideration in what you expect of him and, and how you need to interact with him. So it, again, like, like all of this stuff we're talking about in terms of reading a horse, it's just more information Um, on which you can base your decisions about how to handle that horse. In terms of the horse's posture, um, one thing old-time horsemen used to talk about a lot is putting a horse in the closet. If you've ever taken a clinic from me, you've probably done this with your horse. Um, It's something I like to do in every clinic. Uh, During our groundwork at some point, we teach the horse to drop his head all the way to the ground, So the horse that is, quote unquote, said to be in the closet is is one in the most relaxed and subordinate position of the horse. So the head is all the way to the ground. His feet are kind of huddled together. So he he makes a small impression and he's totally relaxed throughout his body. I like to imagine many of you may be familiar with the famous Southwestern artist Georgia O'Keeffe, and she has a famous painting called um, Into the Trail, I think it's called, where a Native American is sitting on top of a horse, and it looks like they're both hunkered down waiting for a storm to pass or something, and uh, the horse's head is down, and his feet are together, and he's in that position that, that I refer to as putting the horse in the closet. And this is simply teaching this horse to go to this place where he can be totally relaxed and feel totally safe. And that is a totally posture-related issue, but a horse's 
physiology means that his posture is closely related to his emotional state. And if we if he's in the wrong emotional state, we can put him into a good and happy emotional state by um, teaching him to put himself in the closet just by simply changing his posture. One more thing I'll mention about uh, posture and cueing the horse to be more relaxed is has to do with breathing. A horse's breathing is uh, much like our own in that when it tenses or becomes fearful, it tends to <gasps> gulp in a breath and then hold its breath and or begin to breathe very shallow. All of these things contribute to tension, fight or flight responses. So we want to always encourage um, deep, relaxed abdominal breathing in a frightened or tense horse. And because horses are animals that I mentioned just a minute ago, tend to mimic, they tend to first of all pick up on the emotions of other animals and secondly mimic them. So you can cue that tense or on the muscle horse to relax by simply changing your posture to a more relaxed posture and taking a deep abdominal breath, taking a big, strong exhale, looking down, rounding your shoulders, rounding your back. Give the horse the cues with your own body posture for him to adopt a more relaxed posture. Let's talk for a minute about gestures and facial expressions. And here we're talking about intentional communicative behaviors of horses. They are displaying these things all of the time. This is information that is there for the taking. If you just understand them to be gestures and expressions and you look for them. Let's talk about facial expressions first. A horse uses everything to communicate his whole body from nose to tail including his voice. We'll get into that in a minute. But in terms of facial expressions, in particular, the horse uh, shows a lot of expressions um, with his face, with his mouth, with his ears, his feet, and his tail. But just focusing on facial expressions for a minute, um, first of all, you, you want to watch the mouth or the muzzle area. Horses um, will grimace. Um, they will show a distasteful um, expression with their muzzle. Of course, you know, when they're alarmed, you would see a totally different look in their muzzle. Um, horses convey pleasure with their muscles. So when they scratch each other and um, they will wiggle their uh, the end of their upper lip to indicate they're feeling pleasure. Uh, when you find that sweet spot on your horse and you scratch him there, if you watch his upper lip, you'll see it it wiggle um, as he as you hit that sweet spot. So horses will also, you know, kind of snarl and lift their lips a little bit to expose their teeth. Exposing their teeth, of course, can be a threatening gesture. Um, the sound of their teeth opening is a threatening gesture. Um, just lifting the lip and exposing teeth is a gesture. 
Um, but then opening the teeth is an even greater gesture. You can have, you know, teeth completely exposed and the and barred, the teeth barred, so the horse is, has a gaping open mouth threatening to uh, bite your head off. So uh, there's um, small and subtle variations of all of that that are communicative in nature, uh, but very subtle to someone who is unaware. Also, in terms of the facial expressions of the horse, watching its eyes, there's a lot of information there. Are the eyes, you know, relaxed and sleepy looking? Is that uh, when we look at his eyes and see that sleepy eye, you look at the horse's entire posture and his ear position, you might see that he's sort of half asleep and zoned out. You might look at another horse's eyes and in a, in a moment of concern, you might see a great deal of worry in their eyes. So just the way they're, um, you know, kind of conforming their eyes and their uh, the muscles above their eyes, um, it creates lines of worry. And you can see that very clearly in a horse. As you're watching the facial expressions of a horse that is becoming emotional, sometimes you will see a flash of white in the eyes. This is sort of a reflective response and an indicator um, that the horse's fight or flight response might be triggering. So it's something that we watch out for and we know that is sort of a red flag or an indicator that horse is really, um, you know, something is triggering uh, fight or flight in that horse in that moment. Ear position, of course, is, uh, horses can be communicative with their ear position. And also there is just a lot of information to be read there. So um, a horse has the distinct characteristic of being able to move its two ears to rotate them 180 degrees independent of each other. So one ear might be facing forward and the other ear might be facing back. A horse's ears tend to be pointed towards what he is focused on. So when the horse's ears are perked forward, all of his focus is in front of him. But when he has his ears turned uh, back behind him, he's focused on something behind him. And that may be you as the rider. I want my horse, uh, when I'm cueing him and asking him to do a certain task, I need his focus to be on me. I expect those two ears to be pointed back towards me. But I know that he will always be aware of other things in his environment too. So his ears might be flickering around a little bit. And it's tells me where his focus is. There are certain ear positions that are posture related that indicate emotionality. Like for instance, the relaxed and subordinate ear position means the ears are in the east-west position and relaxed. That is a horse that is relaxed and accepting of what's happening around him. It is a horse that is sort of tuned out to his environment, it is a. It can be a great thing when you have a horse that just needs to patiently wait for you to do something, and uh, he just kind of cocks a hind foot and drops his head down and zones out a little bit and catches a few Z's while he waits for us to do something else. That that's a, a great sign to see in a horse that relaxation and acceptance in the east-west ear position. Of course, when a horse flattens his ears um, back on his neck, that can be an indication that 
that horse is becoming angry and or aggressive. So that's definitely a sign you want to take seriously, whether that aggression is being targeted at another horse or at you, or he's just mad about the situation. We know that is a horse that might be reaching um, some, uh, might be headed towards some emotional outburst. Now, getting down to actual intentional gestures, communicative gestures that a horse makes, some people may find this surprising, but a horse has a lot of communicative behavior. They exist in a herd and they have to communicate with each other. So they have lots of tools for that. And a horse will make gestures with his head, his neck, his mouth, his ears, his feet, his tail. He'll use his whole body and he has some real um, specific gestures that we understand the meaning of. And you have probably all seen at some time or another. So I'm going to explain a, a few of the most common, starting with a, what a horse will do with his head, uh, beyond what I mentioned a minute ago in terms of showing teeth and barring teeth and opening the mouth and those sort of uh, overt gestures. You might sometimes see in a horse what's called a head toss. And in the head toss, the horse moves his nose in a circular fashion and it generally causes his mane to toss. He'll generally be in a posture, an upright posture. And the head toss, often you'll see it when you're working a horse, let's say in a round pen, and you're kind of bossing it around, and it's not used to being bossed around. You might see um, some head tosses there, a young horse that's just being trained. You might see it in a horse that tends to be a little bit dominant in nature when you're trying to ask him to do something he doesn't want to do. So a head toss, uh, again, it's that circular emotion. It's not related to a bit, and it's not throwing the nose straight up in the air like a horse does with a bit in his mouth. It's a circular motion with the nose, and it is a gesture of defiance. So you will just see it when the horse is feeling a little bit defiant. I often equate it to the teenage eye roll. So you ask your teenager, let's say, go clean your room, and they give you one of those <coughs> little tisk and uh, grunts of disgust combined with an eye roll. That's sort of what, but then they go clean the room. That's sort of the equivalent of the head toss for a horse. Another gesture that we commonly see in horses is called snaking. It's a dominant and a herding behavior. And so the horse that's snaking will have his nose straight out in front of him and his neck low so that his head and neck sort of resembles a snake. And he often has his ears back and his teeth barred, and he's usually chasing another horse. And snaking is a herding behavior in horses, and it has to do with establishing hierarchy. And the dominant horse, in order to establish hierarchy, will start herding another horse, uh, turning him right, left, right, left, and um, as if to gain authority over that horse. And so snaking is a behavior you see a horse is employing when they are um, doing that. But a time that you might see snaking when it's sort of aimed at you is when you're riding the horse 
And um, sometimes you might get the impression that your horse is becoming impatient with you or he is um, wants to be done riding. He wants you to get off. Maybe he thinks you should be at the end of your ride and you're just sitting there on him. He might kind of in a deliberate sort of um, tense way, he might turn around and act like he's going to bite your foot. That's, uh, I, I think, a derivation of snaking behavior, um, and it's aimed at you. <laughs> so also sometimes we see nodding in a horse. He takes his nose and he just shakes it up and down like we would nod our own heads in agreement. Sometimes that is a horse trying to draw attention to something, or he's trying to draw attention to himself. It is um, not sure it's a fully understood behavior in a horse, but it's something that you see often, and it clearly has some kind of communicative value. Horses do a lot of communicating with their feet, their front feet and their hind feet. So sometimes we see horses pawing the ground with a front foot, and they can be doing it sort of slowly and casually or in a in a way that indicates anger and frustration. They might be slapping the ground with that foot or just um, digging with that foot or tapping the ground or sometimes even just kind of holding that foot up as if they want to paw but can't. Pawing is an indication that the horse is frustrated and wishes he was moving. We mostly see pawing behavior when the horse is bored and, and uh, doesn't want to be standing still. So it's just an indication. It's, it's a gesture of frustration. Horses will also stomp when they're angry. Uh, by the way, they also stomp when ants are crawling up their legs, so you want to be careful not to uh, make an assumption. But when horses get angry, they might stomp the ground with a front foot or a hind foot. And again, it's just an expression of anger. And I think it's very, um, it's very easy to read and clear to understand once you understand that a horse's actions have meaning. Also, with their hind legs, horses will do any number of uh, what we call kick threats. So starting with just cocking a hip towards you uh, or towards what the horse is threatening, all the way up to um, picking the heel up and pointing the toe um, and increasing levels of kick threats would be at, would involve actually um, lifting the foot off the ground, even um, gesturing back a little bit, like as if to say, I'm going to kick and I'm going to kick you if you keep doing that. Um, so horses will employ all levels of kick threats, um, but keep in mind that a horse may kick with no threat or warning whatsoever as well. So it's not always a guarantee you're going to get some kind of gesture that indicates the horse is thinking about kicking. But in many, if not most instances, there are indications there that a person just missed before they got kicked. Same thing with striking behavior. Striking is what occurs with the front feet. It is a defensive behavior of horses. It can be a little bit aggressive. And striking occurs, again, with the front feet of the horse. They can also um, stand up high, like as in rearing, and strike at the same time, coming down on the object they're trying to strike. So it's a quite dangerous and threatening behavior. 
But oftentimes horses will just employ strike threats. And so they'll pick up a front foot similar to as if they were going to paw, but they make a gesture with it. Uh, We call that show me the hoof. Uh, If you've ever seen a horse when he's kind of getting irritated with something, just pick up a front foot and gesture like he was going to strike or gesture uh, like he was going to paw. And uh, I think that's just a horse that's really trying to uh, communicate his frustration with something. The tail is another place where you will see obvious communicative behavior from the horse. Again, there there are certain tail positions that relate to posture and emotionality, but also you might see intentional gesturing with the tail, such as in the case of switching the tail. Not just swishing, but as I talked about earlier, that tense switching can be a an attempt on the horse to tell you what you're doing is irritating him and he's about to take further action. So we want to watch for these things, not just ignore them. By the way, a rider doesn't always know when their horse is swishing the tail in irritation. Sometimes it's important for riders to get coaching from a trainer, an instructor, or a more experienced rider, or just simply have a friend observe them riding their horse because there could be indications or certain indications um, such as tail switching and mouth opening that the rider isn't always aware of. And so the horse may be trying to tell you something, but you can't see or hear the signal. Another thing that is important to consider in terms of a horse's gesturing, his attempts to communicate, are a little more subtle and a little more situational. And one of them is the horse that is constantly looking away. He's, um, no matter where you are and what you're doing and what you're asking, he's looking away from you. Or the horse that is constantly looking behind him or ahead of him or to the side of him uh, for an exit. It's searching behavior. It's escaping behavior. It is uh, seeking the exit behavior. This is a horse that while he may not be communicating directly to you in this manner, um, these are very strong indication that the horse doesn't acknowledge you. uh, You mean nothing to the horse and he is actively looking for a way to get away from you, these are signs that should not be overlooked because not much much meaningful is going to come out of that situation. And so first you need to understand what what is wrong with um, your current relationship with the horse that he's um, so desperate to get away from you. And maybe it's just a horse that you haven't built a relationship with yet, Uh, Maybe it's a feral horse or a horse that's been abused or something that you're needing to build up trust in. This is important and real information that the horse is trying to convey, and uh, you should try to seek out the meaning and the understanding there. Also, sometimes along the way of gesturing, uh, sometimes horses use their heads and their muzzles for nudging and headbutting. I think these um, gestures are fairly easy to understand and easy to read. If you're the one he's headbutting, it's just like, get the heck out of my way. Again, it is um, a horse that 
is telling you, you mean nothing to me. You have no authority over me. Get away from me. So don't um, dis- disregard these behaviors as uh, meaningless because they um, always have meanings. Most actions of the horse do. Let's just talk for a minute about the audible communications of the horse, of which there are exactly four. And all four audible communications have a specific meaning. Now, keep in mind that horses make lots of sounds. They snore, they grunt, they groan, and who knows what else. They, you know, they hiccup and you you hear certain different sounds from horses, but whether or not they actually have communicative value is uh, the issue here. So horses have four audible communications that they use with great frequency. Probably most of you have heard them before. Certainly, uh, you've heard the whinny and the knicker. We hear them all the time, every day. And the whinny is a high-pitched sound with a knicker at the end. So the horse whinnies, uh, I'll give you my uh, rather poor imitation, but it goes like this. (laughs) And there's a lot of really interesting things about the whinny. First of all, what does it mean? Um, It's a social call. It's a searching call. It means, where are my friends? Or is anyone out there willing to be my friend in the, in the case of a horse that's searching for a new friend or a new herd? So it is a searching call. Each and every horse has a distinctive whinny. So horses can recognize each other from far distances. They can locate each other from far distances. Um, they can locate a new herd or other horses from long distances with a whinny. And if you keep your horses at home, you might even have noticed that you can, um, just from sound alone, tell the difference uh, between your horses and the way they whinny. And uh, whinnying, by the way, is just something that constantly happens around horses. And when horses are feeling very insecure and unsafe and and isolated from their herd, you're going to hear a lot of whinnying. And if it's our horse that's doing the whinnying, it's it's aggravating and it's embarrassing. Um, but where there are horses, there is whinnying, and you just kind of have to get used to it. And uh, by the way, if you're struggling with a horse that's constantly calling out to his friend who he's slightly separated from, the best thing to do is try to engage that horse, ask him to do stuff, keep him busy. Um, you can't really punish the horse for having an emotion and expressing it. But you can punish him for the things that he is trained not to do, like um, break gate or stop or turn turn unauthorized and that kind of stuff. So sometimes you just have to ignore it. The um, other audible communication you hear all the time every day from horses is the knicker. It goes like this. <laughs> it's a soft kind of cooing sound. It, it, it means simply come to me. And it is most often or most purposeful between a broodmare and her foal. She tries to keep track of that foal as he wanders off by nickering at him, come back to me. You'll hear it a lot at feed time, of course, around the barn, because all the horses know you're bringing them the food and they want you to come to them first. You also sometimes will hear a sort of different version of the nicker from a stallion, 
when he's trying to garner the attention of a mare. You might hear a little bit more uh, romantic knicker where he's like, <laughs> and he's prancing by and his, his neck is up and arched and his tail is up and arched in a prideful posture. And he's, uh, you know, cooing, nickering to the mare, look at me, don't you like me? So that's a little bit of a variation of the knicker uh, related to reproduction. Another audible communication we don't hear quite as often as the whinny and the knicker, but you still hear when horses engage uh, with each other, and that is the squeal. And the squeal is quite loud, and it is often accompanied by a very upright posture and a stomp or a strike. And the squeal is a threat to another horse from one horse to another horse that aggression is about to ensue. So it's a horse saying, I'm about to become aggressive if you persist in bothering me. And the squeal is often nothing more than a threat and often nothing comes of it. But sometimes horses, uh, that can lead up to a fight between horses. By the way, the squeal is really loud. And there are some behaviorists that in observation of watching feral horses, uh, feral stallions fight, they believe the squeal to be sometimes used as a weapon. So that horse will um, get his mouth up real close to the ear of of the horse he's fighting and squeal as loud as he can, and it actually damages the horse's ear. So that's how loud the squeal is, and that's how closely it is related to aggression and dominance. The final audible communication that we hear from horses, not quite as common as the ones I just missed, but still you will hear it on on regular occasions. And that is the snort or the blow. And the snort occurs when a horse blows forcefully out his nose. It's not really a sound I can emulate very well without blowing all my boogers out all over. And the horse's posture will be um, a part of this uh, communicative behavior. And so he will have a very upright um, posture, a very on high alert. His head will be all the way up. His ears will be perked forward. His nose will be out, allowing him to project his vision off far. And then you'll hear him breathe through his nose in a forceful way. <sniffs> and sometimes he can add a rattling sna- sound to it that is an indicator of greater alarm. Sometimes he will just blow. And the snort is believed to be a warning to other horses that there is something threatening in the environment. So that horse has detected a threat in something around him, could be way off in the bushes, could be right around him, could be he's just a horse getting ready to have some fun and run across the pasture and practice his flight response. So sometimes we see it with horses in play when they're practicing flight. But the snort is a warning to others around me that there's something threatening in our environment and you should pay attention. 
So it's a warning signal. So those are the four audible communications horses make, whinny, nicker, squeal, and snort. It's fun once you understand the meaning of them to start listening closer to your horse and his, his efforts to communicate with you. And also, it's just something else that you add to your ability to read the horse's posture, to understand his gestures, and to put that all together uh, with the audible communications he makes to understand what he's thinking um, and what he's trying to communicate. Let's talk for a minute about how we put all of that together with the horse's actions And also with having situational awareness, before you can really read the horse and all of these things I've just been talking about, you also have to have a bigger picture situational awareness of the horse's actions and motivations and intentions. There are certain things, like I mentioned earlier, like gravity towards the herd, Uh, towards a tendency to seek uh, comfort and relaxation over uh, work and tension. And so there are certain things that are somewhat predictable about a horse in terms of its motivation and intentions. But there are also certain things that we can observe in looking a little bit more at the big picture. And in other words, instead of reading the horse, now what we're talking about is reading the room. So first of all, as I mentioned just a minute ago, if you have a horse that's searching around, he's looking everywhere, um, but at you, he's searching behind him and beside him in every direction, looking for an exit. Um, Don't confuse this with a horse that's highly distracted because there's lots of stuff going on around them. But this is a horse that's actively looking for a way out of his current dilemma, uh, which may be hanging out with you. So as long as that horse is looking for an exit, he's on the verge of flight and he's just waiting for an opportunity. And unless and until I get him out of that state of mind, unless I get him into that state of mind where he is accepting being with me, he's present with me, he's, he's either focused on me or on nothing around him, um, then not much training or even um, productive activity is going to occur with the horse. So don't pretend to go on with what you thought you were doing if you have a horse that's in that kind of emotional state. Instead, we have to engage that horse. We have to start asking him to do stuff, putting him to work, taking control of him so that it brings his focus um, back to where we are, back in the present, in the moment, and he needs to sort of accept being with us and uh, quit looking for a way out. Also, I noticed that a lot of people confuse fear with refusal on a horse. Sometimes horses just refuse to do things you've asked them to do, whether that's cross a creek because he doesn't want to get his toes wet, or whether it's do a certain maneuver that may indeed be causing him pain when you ask him to do that, we didn't even know it. But When a horse is afraid, there are going to be um, certain signs that indicate fear, like like I talked about earlier, from the whites of the eyes flashing to the posture um, to even things like um, being so tense they start shaking. Um, 
versus a horse that's just sort of mad and angry and doesn't want to do something. Maybe he's gotten away with not doing it for a long time. Maybe he's had success. In other words, learned behavior of refusal. Um, maybe he has a good reason to be refusing uh, what you're asking him to do, such as uh, pain response. But maybe it's just because he's learned in his refusal, he can get away with not having to work very hard or not having to do something that he doesn't like, like step on a tarp or, you know, get his toes wet in the water. So there are certain subtleties involved in distinguishing between these things. They seem rather obvious to me, but after a lifetime of being around horses and training horses, I guess I've gotten pretty discerning. But I think you want to really um, look deeper into the horse's posture and his physiology, um, and then also consider the bigger picture things like, um, is there a herd behavior, a herd, herd bound behavior involved? Is what you're asking the horse to do um, just something he doesn't want to do, like get in the trailer? Or is he really honestly afraid of getting in the trailer? And how we handle that uh, might be different if you can be that discerning uh, with reading horses and uh, bringing in all the information that, that exists in the environment around him, all the situational information. Also, when horses are put into new environments, strange environments, or when horses are suddenly confronted with experiences or situations totally outside their realm of experience, they can quickly become overwhelmed. And that is not the horse's fault. That is your fault. So my job as the leader of my horse is to always protect his safety and to always bring him along slowly in a way that builds confidence in himself and trust in me. So when I am going to be confronting my horse with new experiences, I want to approach it very carefully. I want to build up to it. If he's going to have to go on a you know two or three day long trailer ride, I want to make sure he's comfortable in that trailer by taking him on small trips. I want to, you know, feed him in the trailer for a couple of weeks so he learns to love being in the trailer. I want to um, do all the things I can to give him the foundation he needs to make that long trailer trip. If I just sort of throw him to the lions in any kind of new situation or new environment, um, all he's learning is that he should have a high level of fear and not trust me. So it's your job to season that horse slowly and gradually over time and not just pop him into an experience that overwhelms him. Sometimes we make mistakes and we end up in that place where we didn't and we didn't even mean to or we didn't know it was going to cause um, such an overwhelming uh, reaction to the horse. Well, then it's your job to step up as the leader in that moment and give the horse what he needs to be safe, and to feel safe, and um, teach him how to relax, teach him, show him he's going to be okay, you're going to take care of him. In other words, you need to take control of the situation, not treat it as a horse that is being defiant or disobedient or needs punishment, but a horse that needs emotional support and coping mechanisms um, and since you're the one that put him in that situation, you're the one that's obligated to provide that for him, in my opinion. A really common way that you can put a horse in a position 
that overwhelms him, and sometimes it's unexpected, is when you bring him to an environment where he is surrounded by strange horses. Horses instinctively can be fearful of other horses because, you know, in, in the wild, horses, you know, like um, steal other horses from the herd and they, you know, they can be uh, have fights and, and aggression and stuff like that. So horses instinctively are afraid of horses they don't know. And then a horse that's never been around a lot of strange horses, if you suddenly bring him, let's say, to a clinic or a horse show and he's completely surrounded by strange horses, that can often be overwhelming to a young or inexperienced horse. And so, again, that's, that's, that's a horse that needs your support, needs to learn how to cope, needs to be reminded of how to act appropriately. He needs. This is another reason why we always disallow horses to interact with each other when they're being handled. Uh, it's quite easy to train a horse that whenever he's being handled or ridden, he should never react to another horse. And um, that way, when horses are encountering strange horses, they know they can interact. So that's a little bit um, easier of a situation to control. Finally, one more thing that you need to be aware of in terms of your situational awareness and how the situation is impacting the horse's emotionality and what he may be trying to communicate has to do with any changes to herd dynamics. So research has shown us in the last five or 10 years that changes to herd dynamics are much more impactful to horses than we ever understood them to be. So one horse coming or going permanently from a herd often disrupts the entire hierarchy. And um, for instance, a horse that used to be uh, quite confident and enjoy a high level of hierarchy suddenly finds himself in the, at the bottom and being picked on. So when horses are displaying a lot of emotional behavior or something has changed in that horse's demeanor or level of confidence or the way he acts around you, uh, you might want to consider what kind of changes to her dynamics have happened to this horse recently. Is he in an entirely new, let's say, boarding barn and having to cope with strange horses, a new place to sleep, a new routine, new humans, new horses? These things can be very disruptive to an otherwise calm, relaxed, and um, accepting horse. And we have to have understanding and of this situation and also uh, look to ways we can uh, help the horse um, help the horse find comfort and safety. So in conclusion, to effectively read horses, um, to interpret their actions and to ascribe meaning to their actions, you have to observe the entire horse as well as the situation you're currently in. You have to observe and listen to its overall posture, its effort to convey information through gestures and expressions. You have to interpret the audible cues, become aware of the action the horse is taking, what its intentions might be, and have appropriate situational awareness 
that allows you to think like a horse. While horses can sometimes be quite subtle when it comes to reading them, sometimes the signs are often obvious and overt. In most instances, all the information you need to read a horse is right in front of you, but it's often overlooked, usually because we're too self-absorbed in that moment. Just as with humans, if you're trying to understand and interpret someone, you first have to listen and observe, then seek to understand before opening your mouth and injecting your own point of view. And reading a horse is no different. The information is there for the taking if you simply listen and observe. And now it's time for my favorite segment of the show. What the hey Q&A. We pick a few unique questions each month from our listeners and answer them on the air. If you'd like to submit a written question for What the Hay, please go to my Facebook page at Julie Goodnight Horsemanship or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. I really appreciate all the fantastic questions we received last month. I wish I had time to answer all of them. There are so many good questions that I think it might be time for us to devote an entire episode to your horse training questions. So stay tuned for that. By the way, we keep all your questions in a queue, dropping off only the ones I've already answered. So even if I have not answered the question you submitted yet, I hope to get to it soon, or maybe I'll turn your question into the main topic for a future podcast, which I've been known to do. So please keep listening. First question, Megan. Our first question comes from Susan, and she says, Hi, Julie. I'm going to begin trailering my horses to different places to trail ride. Since I am new at this, I was wondering if you can recommend leg wraps, etc. while trailering. Susan, that's a great question. It's an area where it's difficult to find information. And if you just start mimicking what other people are doing, you may not be doing the right things for the right reasons. Now, also, I have to say that what kind of leg wraps you use while trailering, um, if any, is certainly boils down to the horse, the situation, what you're doing, where you're going, how long you're going to be in the trailer. There are really a lot of factors. So there's no one right answer here. What I can do is just share with you my thoughts and the way I do things. I have found, and you know, I live here in the Rocky Mountains. We do a lot of trail riding. It's arduous riding in the mountains, wooded creeks, rocks, uh, brush, cactus, the whole nine yards. I have found that leg wraps and boots are really not conducive to trail riding. Too many things to go wrong from rocks and debris getting um, snagged on the boots or stuff down inside them to the heat that boots can sometimes generate, to um, boots getting uh, soaked and muddy in the water crossings and the bogs and all of that, or them simply just getting torn off the horse. Now you got to get off, stop the ride, get off, walk back to where it was. And so there's a lot for, for all of those reasons. I don't use any kind of protective boots or leg wraps on my horse when I'm trail riding. I do use them in the arena where I know I'm going to be asking the horse to do 
uh, challenging maneuvers like spins and rollbacks where he might uh, clip himself with his feet. But generally on trail riding, we're walking in a deliberate fashion um, and, and they don't work for the, all the aforementioned reasons. So when it comes to what kind of leg protection you're going to use in a horse trailer, when you're trailering a horse, again, there's just so many variabilities in terms of the horse, where you're going, how well he rides in the trailer. Is he only going to be in the trailer for a few minutes? Or is he going to be in the trailer for several days? Is he a horse that doesn't have great circulation and tends to stock up? Or um, am I just going, you know, half a mile down the road? He's only going to be in the trailer for five minutes. And he, I going to tack him up, pop him in the trailer, drive five minutes, unload him, get on and ride. So all of these things are going to have a bearing on whether or not it's appropriate to use some kind of leg protection on your horse inside the trailer. One thing that I think is really important to keep in mind is that horse trailers are really hot even well-ventilated ones, even in the winter. And so when you add leg wraps uh, onto a horse in a hot trailer, the more horses that are in there, the more body heat they're producing, the hotter it gets. Of course, in summertime, when the pavement may be well over 100 degrees, that heat is radiating up into the trailer. So if they are not needed, I'm not inclined to put wraps on my horse's legs also, what in the case of using some kind of um, wrap, like a polo wrap or something like that, I don't really think that's a good idea because often these things come loose. They're hanging down. The horse is stepping on it. It's interfering. Uh, the horse could actually be sort of tripping up over it. And there's no really, there's no really good way to crawl in there and fix it if he's in a trailer with other horses. Or even if he's in a trailer by himself, it would be unsafe to crawl in that trailer and start working on that horse's feet in such a confined area. So wraps can be problematic in, in that way. Also, when I'm trail riding, I'm not spending any time at the trailhead dressing and redressing my horse. I, we often load the horses in the trailer already saddled, bridles tied onto their saddles, saddlebags already on and everything. And when we get to the trailhead, uh, we unload the horses and go. We, we don't want to spend a lot of time fussing around with them. Now, if you feel like your horse needs leg protection in a trailer because you're going a long distance or he doesn't trailer very well or he's going to be crammed in a trailer where other horses might be stepping on him or kicking at him or something, um, I would use protective shipping boots they uh, fit loosely on the horse's legs and basically just um, provide a protective covering on the legs. But again, they can be quite hot for the horse. Um, they would protect him from stepping on himself or bumping into, you know, the back of the trailer or something like that. Um, so they're going to provide some level of protection to the horse. But if I have a horse that's really good at trailering, as all my horses are, you can tell when you get to your destination and unload them that they have not hardly moved at all. They've just sat real quietly and still in there. We actually have an interior camera in our horse trailer and we can watch the horses. And our, we know our horses ride really well in the trailer. Um, we've got them in a slant load where they have um, barriers to lean against on all sides. So there's not a lot of 
contact with other horses and they're not there's not a lot of slopping around in that trailer. So I feel really comfortable putting my horses in the trailer without any kind of leg protection. But if I were shipping them across the country, um, they were going to be on a trailer for 24 hours or for multiple days, I might consider putting some kind of padding on the horse's feet um, and some sort of uh, protective and supportive shipping bandages that um, help with the horse's circulation when he's unable to uh, walk and trot and canter around um, to to get the, the uh, circulation out of his legs. So that would be um, the kinds of situations in which I would be looking at leg protection on the horse. Also, uh, one more thing I'll leave you with is in terms of trail riding, you might want to consider um, getting hoof boots for your horse, whether he is shod or unshod. And a couple of ways in which hoof boots, you know, the kind of boots that are um, kind of tricky to get on, uh, but they, they're actually like shoes for your horse, like athletic shoes for your horse. They provide traction and they will also provide um, protection to the sole of the horse's foot, uh, particularly unshod horses. Um, that are going off on trail rides where there could be a lot of rocks and stuff that could make their feet sore. Also, they come in particularly handy for shod horses who have a tendency to to lose a shoe at the most inconvenient time. So if I'm going on a long all-day trail ride with my horse, it's nice to have some hoof boots in the saddlebag. So if I do throw a shoe or if um, my horse somehow seems like he's got a stone bruise or something like that, I can slip those boots on and protect his feet. Some people like to use them in the trailer so a horse has better traction and also um, so his uh, feet are supported better, kind of cushioning from the uh, trailer floor. Our next question comes from Victoria, and she says, I'm working with a horse that needs to be refreshed in its training. She is an ex-barrel racer and hasn't been ridden in 10 years, and I just want to get her rideable. Do you have any tips? It's a great question, Victoria, and it's one often people sort of freak out about the idea of restarting a horse that's been idle for some time, um, years, let's say. And it's really usually far easier than one would think if you just give the horse a little time to remember things. Horses don't really forget their training. Years can elapse, but if the horse were well-trained at one time, he doesn't forget those things. He may need a little refreshing, maybe a little rusty on the proper response, but he doesn't uh, just forget all that stuff. He may just need a little time to recall. A horse being idle, by the way, is sometimes better than a horse that's trying to recover from having poor handling or poor riding over a number of years. Those horses have often been emotionally damaged or have learned tactics and strategies you didn't want him to learn. And he doesn't forget those things either. So a horse that's just been standing idle and not been ridden you would expect that horse to more or less pick up where he left off with just a little bit of time to reorient. 
So I would suggest that you start from the very beginning, just like you would a colt that had never been ridden. And you just watch the horse's reaction with each step of the way, breaking things down into really small increments and looking for red flags or green flags. If I, for instance, go to put the saddle on the horse for the first time and he blows up throwing a bucking fit, I'm like, oh, okay, we need a little spend a little more time here. Um, Something's not going right here. So I'm looking for red flags or green flags. The red flags could be as simple as the horse just tensing up when I reintroduce that thing, um, in which case I'm just going to slow it down, give him a minute to remember, to recall, to think it through, to accept it before moving on to the next thing. So I'm waiting for the horse to get comfortable before moving on. And always keep in mind that slower is better and slower is usually faster. This is true of training horses to begin with, and it's true of refreshing horses and giving them time to recall their training. So I will do this, um, taking breaking it down into small increments. I will do it with each step of the process, from saddling to bridling to giving to bit pressure to mounting to cueing the horse to go stop and turn. I just want to approach each one of those things one at a time in the smallest possible increment, go slow enough that allows the horse time to remember and get comfortable with it before moving on to the next thing and looking for any red flags that may indicate the horse's training is might, might not be where we wanted it to be or where we thought it was. So I have some great resources available on this exact subject for you. Um, First of all, I did a podcast back in 2018 on this subject called Start Out on the Right Hoof. And it is about refreshing a horse's training after a long layoff. Also, if you will go to my website, juliegoodnight.com slash restart, you will find a um, grouping of resources available for you, uh, both free access and paid access. Uh, We definitely did a version of Horse Master on this very subject. So you can actually watch as I bring a horse back into training that has uh, been idle for some time. So don't be too intimidated by it. It should, um, that horse should reacclimatize to riding just fine. Just take your time, be empathetic, and um, let the horse show you what he knows. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you found some useful information here about reading horses and interpreting their communicative and emotional behavior that will not only help you understand your horse better and interact with him in a more productive manner, but also help you develop a more meaningful relationship with your horse. No matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining your higher level skills, I hope you found some helpful information here to make your horse life better. Please remember to hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. I love sharing my horse care and training experience with you, and I appreciate all of your feedback, suggestions, and questions. I'd love to hear what topics interest you the most, so if you have questions for What the Hay or podcast topics you'd like me to address, please message me on Facebook. My page is at Julie Goodnight, 
or email me at podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Thanks again for your awesome comments and for the five-star ratings. It helps me out a lot and it helps us rise in the rankings so more horse lovers like you and me can find this podcast. Don't forget to check out my online membership programs. You'll find the solutions you need when you need them. You can subscribe to my full training library with hundreds of videos, audios, and articles, all of it searchable content, or enroll in my horsemanship short course on building confidence. You can also join at the premier level, the Interactive Academy, where you receive a 12-month training curriculum and personalized coaching from me. Just go to juliegoodnight.com join and start your ride. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening and please stay safe and enjoy the ride. Be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com slash academy for more in-depth training advice. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride.